This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Good morning, or guess whenever you're listening to this afternoon, evening, middle of the night, this is Trevor, and I am here with Paul. Paul, how are you doing today? Hey, Trevor, I'm doing great. I'm enjoying the fall weather and reading some good books and looking forward to our conversation today. I am too. And you know, Paul, you and I won't be conversing as much as usual to each other. We, for the first time, have a special guest. I'd like to introduce, uh, to probably many of you already know her, uh, Frances Evangelista. Frances, welcome to the show. Thanks, Trevor. I'm happy to be here. Now, Frances, I have known you for probably a good decade online, but will you let let people know who you are on Twitter? And they probably know your name, too, because I think it shows up on Twitter as Frances. But let's make sure people can get a little grounded and know who we're talking to. Sure. I'm on Twitter with a handle of NoneSuchBook. And NoneSuchBook was where I blogged about books for over a decade. It is it is dormant now. It just kind of sits there. Uh, like a lot of us who have not paid as much attention to our blogs, I think about doing it every once in a while. But I love the conversation about books on Twitter. And I definitely uh, am a fan of both of you. We've all been talking for a very long time. So thanks for having me today. Well, it is absolutely my pleasure. I remember, I I must have known you clear back uh, over a decade ago, because I think I entered a drawing on your blog and won Mm -hmm. (laughs) clear back in like 2009, 2010. And... I do. I also remember driving from my home in New Jersey down to Florida one January and getting stuck in traffic in DC. And this had to have been a good decade ago, too. And I remember tweeting you and, and uh, Mark as Athatakis. I haven't, didn't look up his name, but like, hey, I, I'm in your neck of the woods. It sure is nice to be stuck in traffic in D.C., you know, and, and I just remember that. So I have been following you and and talking to you or at least listening to you for a very long time. Yeah, no, I'm so thrilled to have Frances on. And I, I have also followed her blog for years. And then more recently, I've got to say, she's been one of the absolute bright spots of the last couple of years for me during the pandemic. I've had so much fun on book Twitter and oh. it's been, you know, mm-hmm. such a calming, fun presence in Francis in particular, it's just been so lovely to get to know you better. And I've really enjoyed, you know, just all of our conversations we have and finding great books through you. So yeah, I'm thrilled to have you on board. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I completely agree with that, by the way. I'm very quiet on Twitter, but I think probably part of the reason that we thought this podcast would be fun and, and, and nice is that that did provide both Paul and me with so much like just stability and mental health uh, wellness. And we thought maybe a podcast would also do it. And it certainly has. I, I'm really enjoying doing this. And I'm just uh, ecstatic that we can talk kind of face-to-face over the interwebs uh, this morning. Yeah. Francis, anything else you'd like to, to say to introduce yourself? Um, some folks that know me know that I work in education. I work at the elementary school level. Every once in a while, you might see a random treat, tweet about uh, children's books and that kind of thing. Uh, so that's my mm-hmm. day life. I think that's the only thing I excellent. might add. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, he, 
listeners, we invited Frances on and are delighted that she said yes to talk about three favorite books. They don't have to be the absolute favorite, Frances. I hope you didn't feel too much pressure to I you know, <laughs> slice off some some beloved book or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to that, I wanted to just bring up our last episode was our fall book books episode came out last week. And we have a giveaway in there for everything like before by Paul. Did you say it's Shell? Like a it's you, yeah, it is. Said it's Shell a, Askilton. Shell. Spelled with a KJ, so Shell Askilson. I did not know that until you said it last episode, and I thought, oh, I need to I need to do better. <laughs> I was on Sean the Book Maniacs book book size chats and I had to look it up to make sure that I had some idea of how to say it. So I did listen to that. It must have either blown past me or, you know, when I didn't know it, I thought, well, what book is Paul, Paul talking about? Even I don't even know what this author is now, yeah. <laughs> but he's just but making yeah, up so, words. Just making up words. So we have that book to give away. And I will tell you right now, if you enter your chances of winning are pretty darn good. Our, our hat is not uh, brimming. Uh, but we do have some sad news. Uh, found out last night from Archipelago Books that uh, Shell Eskilson has passed away. He passed away on Thursday, September 23rd. Uh, he's 91 years old. His 92nd birthday is September 30th, which is the day this episode will go live. Um, and so it's just a sad, a sad situation um, altogether. Uh, but I definitely don't want people to give his book a miss. You know, I don't want it to kind of uh, sink into oblivion and love the chance to give it to one of you. So if you haven't entered the giveaway, please go back and listen how to do that in our episode seven, the fall books episode and enter again. Our hat is not brimming yet. Not that I expect it to, you know, us to get a million um, entries or anything like that. But if you enter, you you have a good chance of, of winning. Just want to make sure that that's brought up this episode. You have just a few more days to enter when you're hearing this. But let's get back to this episode and to Francis. Paul, I will let you, since you you were the one who reached out to Francis and, and talked about the topic, do you want to to lead us out here? Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I'm more than anything, I we've enjoyed kind of just these general discussions, Francis, as I'm sure you know, with you know some of our bucket list books and each week we'll just kind of check in on some of the different books that we love to read. So I know readers are probably sick or listeners are probably sick of hearing from us. So looking forward to hearing what you have to say. So yeah, do you want to kick us off with one of your first favorites? Sure. I'm sitting here, you know, wow, already. I think uh, when we talk, when we talk about going back like a decade and more and stuff, I think about, you know, a decade or more ago, I was reading online uh, with our, online uh, book club. We called ourselves the Wolves. I think uh, Richard and Eileen and Emily and Sarah and myself and Claire and um, none of those folks are around on uh, social media or their blogs or anything anymore except for Richard. And um, we would pick books every year for our book club, one per month, and then we would discuss it on our blogs and go back and forth and a little bit on Twitter uh, for some of us that were getting kicked off at that point. And I think um, Richard had the best year for 2011, which was a decade ago. And he picked two books, both of which I love. The first one 
which I'm not going to talk about, is A Conversation in the Cathedral by Mario Vargas Llosa. And the second one is uh, Memoirs of Hadrian by Marguerite Yorsenar. I think when we talk about favorite books sometimes, there's so many of them, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought, what's the one that was the biggest surprise? And uh, Memoirs of Hadrian was that. I think sometimes when we're in book clubs, we love the choices, we hate the choices. You know, you can blame the person, you can blame the group for for you know what they picked and I, I had no expectations going into this one none at all and it, it just really really surprised me at the time it's a very very moving book basically Hadrian is at the end of his life he knows that he's dying and he's written this letter to his successor uh, Marcus Aurelius and he wants to pay tribute to his own life in a way and pass on some type of uh, wisdom. Then he talks a lot about the classification of love, I believe is the way that he describes it, and what that meant to him in discovering love very late in life with an unsuitable young man and how that plays out in his role. I think uh, the duality of this, the uh, in his personal human instincts versus his training as someone who's leading an entire empire are very interesting because he's, you know, led to believe his entire life that he's God chosen and uh, somehow more than human. And then at the very end of his life, there's no denying his humanity. He's, his body is failing him. He knows that his end is there. And what he thinks about are not these God-given rights or abilities that he supposedly has, but this love of his life uh, that has passed him and the very life that has passed him and the possibilities that it holds. It's just an incredibly moving book. I picked out this one passage. I thought it was interesting because he can't differentiate between, even at the end, when he, he knows what is important to him, this love, this, this humanity, but his human limitations and his legacy still suggest some of his feelings, his attachment to immortality that he's been led to believe. So I'm going to read this one passage, if that's okay. Yeah, please do. Life is atrocious, we know. But precisely because I expect little of the human condition, man's periods of felicity, his partial progress, his efforts to begin over again and to continue, all seem to me like so many prodigies, which nearly compensate for the monstrous mass of ills and defeats of indifference and error. Catastrophe and ruin will come. Disorder will triumph. For order will too from time to time. Some few men will think and work and feel as we have done, and I venture to count upon such continuators, placed irregularly throughout the centuries and upon this kind of intermittent immortality. And this is, this is near the end. And it, it, ju it just makes me think of all the people that we place in positions of authority who can't personally distance themselves um, from the role, you know, that they have held in life or the privilege which has been, you know, given that role. Um, it's a beautiful book. It was a total surprise. I found it very moving and beautifully written. And I've been saying for a decade that I'm going to read more of your Sonar's work, <laughs> and I still haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> You've got time. 
<laughs> I've got, I hopefully have time. Yes. Yeah, middle age is calling, but I think I, you know, well, no, it's here. I'm sorry. I <laughs> um, but I, I hope I still have time. Yes. Francis, I love that. I've never read that book. I've seen you talk about it before. And I always, when you're talking about it, I think that is the next book I need to read. But for whatever reason, when I, you know, leave the room, I forget about it. But I love those kinds of books about these historical figures that are really internal and really about their inner life rather than just about their historical life. I'm thinking of John Williams, Augustus, uh, things like that. I, I really love that kind of stuff. And that sounds like the kind of book that you were just uh, describing. Uh, And I love the, the end of life um, thoughtfulness. I mean, I I can therefore say it also sounds like a book Paul would love (laughs) really pensive and about, uh, about uh, what it means to, to, to live and, and to be on, on, on the way out when your life has been such a, you know, such a monument uh, yeah, definitely. Right, right up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you've sold us both that it's time for right. sure. But I'm here's what I'm always afraid of. Whenever Paul is talking about books, the first one he brings up, I think, man, I really need to read that one. I'm so excited to hang up and go and do it. And then he brings up another book. <laughs> and so it's time to it's time to see if you do the same thing and make it so that I instead want to read the next book you bring up. <laughs> well, it's it's like I said too. I read that book and I was like, oh, I have to read her other things. This is just amazing. The, the writing is elegant. It's profound. It's <laughs> moving. And ten years go by and I still haven't read another book by Marguerite Yosenar. <laughs> so you know, there's so many temptations out there. Yes. Or, or, or very uh, temptation. I mean, yes, that's the right word for sure. <laughs> Maybe I prefer to think of them as something else, though, so it doesn't sound so wrong to, to forsake <laughs> something that you, you've been <laughs> intending to do. <laughs> well, let's give wrong its due. <laughs> that's that's <right>. okay, okay. <laughs> Book Twitter is very good at being a, a bad influence, so we might as well embrace it. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell, talk to us about your second one? Okay, so for the second book, I'm thinking I'm going to pick a mystery because I read a mystery almost every Saturday. Mm-hmm. It's a habit uh, I got into with my nana when I was little. So there were these dime store can you know kind of like targets back in the day here in the on the East Coast called Roses, right? Like a Woolworths or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they had a little book section and they had a mystery section. And Nana and I would frequently, on summer mornings, go up to Rose's and pick a new mystery, and we'd read it aloud together, uh, which was lots of fun. It's how I read Agatha Christie's as a kid and, you know, all that kind of thing. So I'm still in the habit of reading those. One of my favorite mystery authors is Marjorie Allingham. Hmm. And I would say that um, she doesn't get her due often enough, but that's one of those mixed bag things. Obviously her work has been reproduced in folio editions and other things. So it's not as if she isn't well known and well championed and things, but I think it's disappointing. I always look in uh, bookstores when I go in, in the mystery section and see if they carry any Marjorie Allingham's. It might be different across the pond, you know, where she is from, they might do that. But here in the States, the answer is frequently no. Or they'll have, you know, one thing or two things, but not really a good representation. So I would love to see people 
read more of her work. She is an outstanding writer. She's been championed by A.S. Byatt and Jean Le Carré and other people. But anyway, she writes this series of mysteries with her Albert Campion detective. Now, he is uh, working under an assumed name because he is presumably high up in the aristocracy of England. And in the beginning of the series, he is occasionally a goofball, and then he can become totally straight-faced coming out of it to, you know, reveal the perilous situation they're all in or the resolution to a crime or to, you know, hold up against some evil force, right? So his personality is kind of all over the place. And I always love the goofiness of him and his antics and some of them. I think they irritate some people, but I always loved them. <laughs> but into this series is my favorite of Alan Ham's books and one of my favorite books just in general. It's called Trader's Purse. And Trader's Purse was actually written in 1940, but has a plot that you would think she was going to already know what was going to happen in terms of World War II and then some of the events within it without saying too much because we don't want to give too much away, which makes it just a riveting book. The pacing of it, knowing what you know about World War II and the atrocities that happened and some of the espionage that happened within that, it just, it's, you know, a ripping good book, as they would say, right? It just, it just keeps moving and moving. But one of my favorite parts of the book, aside from that, because it's, you know, a wonderful read, very, very quick because you can't put it down. But if you've read the other books, and I would suggest reading her other books in this series beforehand, and you've gotten to know her detective, you've gotten to know Campion, you know that he hides a lot behind these performances because that's what they come across as. He's the goof. He's the clown. He's very serious. He slides into his role within the aristocracy. He slides, slides into a role within society. And, and these are roles for him. You get that sense. You always get that sense that you don't fully know him. In between these roles, what is his identity? Like, who, who is he really? And in this book, it opens up, he is in a hospital and he has lost his memory, right? But he has this sense that he has something to do right? He's got to take action against something that he can't grasp. He can't remember what it is. And it's the uncovering of what this is and him regaining his memory. But in the context of this, some of his barriers and some of his role-playing leaves him with his memory, right? So there are some really touching pieces about a woman he loves, his own defensiveness, his own sense of self, that become a little raw and a little bare in the telling because of his situation, his loss of memory, his injury, and that kind of thing. It's a, it's a wonderful book. I can't recommend Marjorie Allingham's work more highly, and this is my favorite among them. Well, I've got a bit of a confession. Okay. Um, back in June of 2017, I'm looking at my order history. You must have gotten one of those out on the weekend before Father's Day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because I see here a pretty big order, not big, it's like three of the books, but big for me, of um, books that I remember telling my wife, hey, I just found out about these books that I really want to start and, and read. And so she ordered me The Case of the Late Pig, Death of a Ghost, and Trader's Purse. Nice. So I have those, and here's where the confession comes in. You haven't read them. I haven't read them yet. <laughs> I haven't read them yet. 
Oh, I'm so sorry, but that I know that I know that it was you who um who pointed them out because there were those really cool. I really like these editions. I think it was was it Ipsos Books, maybe. Yeah, I think um, it is. Yeah, the just the covers are all kind of creepy and and cool. I thought anyway, and so yeah. I'm I'm excited to be re- reminded of those because I think I got them and sat them on my desk for a long time. And they found their way to the A section of my bookshelves, and there they've sat, and that's just a shame. I got to start stop feeling so guilty. But <laughs> <laughs> your bedside table—if you keep pulling all these down—is going to be overflowing pretty soon. I know. Now, I the, know. Do the two of you read mysteries regularly? Just curious. I can't say that I do. I I think I admitted on a previous episode that my parents have like an entire bookshelf basically devoted to Agatha Christie. And so I don't know if that influenced the rebellion in me to not necessarily go down that road. <laughs> but <laughs> Trevor was talking about her on a previous episode, and I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, it's time to get yeah. over that. And I think you've just won me over, too. So it's something that I need to delve into. It's a blind spot for me that I need to definitely, you know, make sure that there's a reason that I'm not reading these. And it sounds from your description, I think I would love this one. It's, well, it's fun. It is good fun. And I think uh, when we're done today, I'll you know, pick up my Saturday mystery for the day. Yeah, I was going to Do you know what it is? uh, Oh, today? Mm -hmm. It's it's one of the British Library crime classics. Uh Um, And this one is a collection of short pieces. It's just come out recently. It's called Murder by the Book, Mysteries for Bibliophiles. Nice. Right up all of our alleys. I think we need to do this, like, for the holidays, Paul. It's just... it always feels like there's the Christmas mysteries. I just mm-hmm. never know what to read, Francis. I need a lot of handholding um, when I'm venturing into newer areas because I don't know what will, especially when I'm not well-versed, what will help me get my footing and love it versus make me think, ah, oh, never mind. Yeah. And that's my know, big uh- fear. Yeah, I I compl- and I ask people all the time. I was like, I need some new mysteries. This is what I like, and Twitter's been awesome about uh, responding. And I've come along a lot of great stuff. I think uh, John Wilson, who I know both mm-hmm. of you interact mm-hmm. with too on Twitter, has actually provided some of the best recommendations. Really great stuff. Well, and it's because of him that I started reading McDonald's. Is it Robert McDonald? Man, Ronald, not Ronald McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> I've read him. <laughs> yeah, it, it was from him. His um, his sta- Ross McDonald. That's it. Ross McDonald. His book stacked in his picture is a bunch of Ross McDonald yeah. books, and so I have read a bunch of those. I have read a bunch of Agatha Christie. I recently got into Louise Penny's Inspector Gamont books mm-hmm. and enjoy those. So I I do get out there just a little bit more more than it sounds like Paul. Paul does need to to work on his relationship with his parents um because it's holding him up it's holding him <laughs> that's up, right clearly all that need to get some counseling. exactly we, we need to help you unpack that baggage <laughs> i think um one of the things that uh john recommended too are these books by ex ferrars uh that has this elderly retired professor as the protagonist and this guy is i just read the first four love them truly entertaining the protagonist is so deadpan like no matter what happens and in a murder mystery that's significant right (laughs) you're Mm -hmm. not supposed to be so blase about you know the body stacking up 
And I think he goes to visit people and sure enough, someone dies, you know, which might be preferable to like Miss Marple and everyone in her, you know, little village dying. You don't want to live in a place where people just keep popping off. But that was from John too. Good stuff. Awesome. Well, what do you have for us at the end? Your third, your third book. So third book, I thought, okay, I did a surprise. I did a mystery. What is one of those things that I would like unconditionally recommend to somebody that, and I thought favorite author. Well, I have, you know, everybody has those few authors that you read and love everything they've written or seem to. And one of mine is Virginia Woolf. And so my favorite book by Virginia Woolf is one that I think people say they tolerate, right? Uh (laughs) Or, oh, that was fun, but that's not really Virginia Woolf. Um, And I've gotten a lot of grief over it over the years, but it is Orlando, a biography Mm. by Virginia Woolf. And I picked out when I knew I was going to say this, uh, this section from her diaries. And this is from volume three of her diaries. And she's talking about the writing of this book. So I'm going to share this little piece here. For the truth is I feel the need of an escapade after these serious poetic experimental books whose form is always so closely considered. I want to kick up my heels and be off. I want to embody all those innumerable little ideas and tiny stories which flash into my mind at all seasons. I think this will be great fun to write, and it will rest my head before starting the very serious, mystical, poetical work which I want to come next. So when people think of Virginia Woolf, they frequently do not think of, ooh, she's fun, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Not the the first thing that comes into mind. We think about all of that uh, interiority, beautifully rendered, love it all, but um, this is different. And... Orlando is uh, a character that lives over 300 years within this book, starts as a young man in the reign of a Queen Elizabeth, and this young man that is ridiculous, right? Purple prose and grandiose ideas of what life is and all these kind of things. So a lot of people that start reading this book think, oh God, what happened with her here? Oh, but one of the beautiful, ingenious things about this book is that the tenor of the narrative, the content of the narrative reflects the age and level of maturity of Orlando at that time. So what they see is like Orlando's purple prose or some of the inflated descriptions or emphases here in this section is just reflective of a very young man who has served the queen as a you know, uh, her lover or, you know, a temporary fill-in because they shuffled them through apparently, filled with his own sense of self-importance, filled with this sense that he's writing, you know, the poetry of an age and things like that. It's very dramatic, very over the top. And people take it for, oh, well, the entire book is going to be like this. And it doesn't. Uh, that, That tone shifts just as Orlando's gender shifts from man to woman um, in the mid course of the book. I think one of the other things that's really fun about the book is that, you know, Wolf had a a difficult relationship with her father sometimes, and he was known as a biographer, very well known for his age. And she takes a lot of pot shots at um, biography, 
you know, and how we construct stories and how we construct truth, right? Very much that biography is story and up to that perspective and things. And a lot of that is, is really fun. You know, how people take conjecture and rumor and, and, you know, manifest interior monologue as truth in the course of biography and things. <laughs> lots, lots of fun in that regard. And I think in terms of the gender switch in the book, uh, sometimes people will say that the maturity of Orlando is progressing, so he naturally turns from a man to a woman. But that's kind of simplistic, and I don't think that that's even what Wolf meant at the time. I think it's that often revisited theme within her works of fluidity, right? And that gender and sexuality mm-hmm. is fluid, and that has something to do with it. And I love the fact that by the end of the book, Orlando, she is a mature writer, right? The writing in the book has progressed and matured with the characters, and her career has sustained itself over 300 years, and now she is a successful writer. She is able to do what she wants. I also love the movie version of this with Tilda Swinton. I was going to ask. Yeah, love it. I think they did an excellent job. I think it's also a lot of good fun. So I would really recommend the book to anyone who thinks that Virginia Woolf is somehow inaccessible or too serious or a bit much to to bite off because it shows a different side of her, a different side of her writing. I think everyone that likes Wolf would like to consider her having some fun and kicking up her heels, as she says, from time to time. It's a favorite book. I love it. I read it about once a year. Oh, that's awesome. I'm happy to say that I have read Orlando. I am sad to say it's been so long that you've made me want to read it again. So it doesn't even matter that I've read it already. (laughs) Still, still giving me something I want to go out and and do again. I I know when I read it, I read it in the fall of 2003 because it was my first term in graduate school. Mm -hmm. And I took a, I don't know if it was called feminist theory, you know, but I took a, a women writers class and loved it. And that was one of them. And really eye-opening, and I I thought that was a fantastic book. It was, it was probably my second or third Virginia Woolf book that I'd read, and oh. I've since read most of them. I think there are a few that I still haven't, but man, I I love her work so much, and too. that one is is fun. I've never seen the movie, so I'm oh, glad to hear watch that. It. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Is it in a Criterion edition? It's not that I know of. I mean, okay. well, I rather, I know it is not. <laughs> I can say okay. that. I don't know if it's ever been on the Criterion channel, but I I will look into how to how to get a hold of that one. Great. Love Tilda Swinton. <laughs> she was amazing. Paul, are you still there? I'm still here. How yeah. about you? Do you, What's your experience with Wolf? I, we've never really brought her up. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I, the only thing I knew about Orlando was kind of the gender fluidity thing. You know, I just kind of heard that, but I did not realize the whole living 300 years thing or any of the other parts that you mentioned. So sounds fascinating. I want to pick it up. My experience with Wolf is Mrs. Dalloway. I read that back in college and then I recently reread it. Of course, I love that one. And then probably my favorite that I've read so far is To the Lighthouse, which Mm -hmm. I thought was just stunning. There was that section in the middle where it jumps through a period of decades in maybe five or six pages. And it was just took my breath away. It was unlike anything I'd ever read before. So yeah, I've, I've loved everything I've read from her so far, but I still have plenty to go and I might move Orlando up to the top of the pile. Yay. 
You guys are making me feel so successful here. <laughs> You're three for three. Well, you've clearly had an influence on us. Uh, it, uh, you know, I'm t- I, I went and bought books uh, based on your Twitter recommendations. I've read your thoughts on memoirs of Hadrian before on your blog. But yeah, I didn't know you were a wolf uh, fan until now. So that's fun. We but- did. Um, this was also nearly a decade ago. And this also came out of our wolves book club. But we did uh, Wolves in Winter, is what we called it. And mm. uh, we spent the entire winter reading Virginia Woolf and blogging about it and talking about it. And that was a blast. That was uh, that was really good fun. I was going to ask you if The Wolves was a reference to Virginia Woolf by any chance. <laughs> it, it was. We were all kind of laughing at ourselves because we were trying to come up with a, a name for our book club. Because, you know, at that time, a decade ago or so, with so many bloggers, um, people would come up with names for their book clubs. And we were like, oh, I guess we have to do this kind of thing. So it was kind of tongue in cheek, right? And we took the Hogarth Press colophon, the the uh, wolf, right? Mm-hmm. And we all knew from reading, you know, bios and stuff that the Bloomsbury set would often refer to them, the the couple as the wolves, spelt that way. So we just decided <laughs> to adopt that to be funny. Well, Francis, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I know that we've, we, we, we set a time and you've got things to do, including read uh, a mystery (laughs) today. uh, You don't want to interfere with her important work. We certainly don't, but I'm so glad that you you did come on any parting words or things you'd like to, to say before we, before we all part today. No, I mean, thank you for having me. I was thrilled uh, to be asked. And then when you told me this morning that I was the first guest, I was like, oh, what a distinction. <laughs> so I'm in a great position here. Um, well I've really deserved. enjoyed you. <laughs> thank you. I've really enjoyed your work uh, together so far. I love hearing your conversations. I love being able to hear your real voices uh, instead of just reading your thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. You guys are a great team together. And congratulations on on the podcast. Well, thank you. I know I've really appreciated uh, Paul for for joining me in this venture, and he says he appreciates me too. So I'll 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 trust him. <laughs> I do, I do. I'm honored. I love it every time. It's fun. It is. It's a lot of fun. But thank you. Well, thank you. All right, listeners, we'll be back next week with our episode about great openings, one that I've been excited to release as well. So we'll we'll be back in October. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can follow Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a Patreon at patreon.com mooks. Until next time. <laughs>